Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. Oh, hi! How's it going, Danny? It goes. We're, we're, uh, we've almost reached the um, time where we can say... I, I think next week we lift the moratorium on doldrums. The the slow period, and we were allowed to use like the really tacky words. Wait, we haven't even gotten the close season. to the to the slow periods. No, that's what I'm saying. Like we're almost there. Oh, we're right. not. We're not quite there. I think it's next week. Is the unofficial? I could be wrong. My my timelines are off. We are we going like end of July now. Um, it's the middle of July. Today we're recording this on the 14th of July, so that's the middle of July. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying is the moratorium lifted like end of July when we can be like, oh my god, it's the dog days of summer. Yeah, but we're the doldrums. We're not going to get uh, the dog days of summer unless it's like a week in September, because don't forget, there's going to be training. There's going to be Team USA training camp. There's going to be FIBA World Cup, and then they're just going to roll right into training camp. NBA has done a very good job of making it a 12 a, a month a year calendar. Well, now. I'm very worried about some of these players who basically are going to be playing year round, namely Damian Lillard. Um, not that he would not do anything responsible, but like, I'm just like, that's a lot of wear and tear if he's going to go down there and try out. Cause I can only imagine that he always gives 100% at least, if not 200%. So I don't know. It's going to be, uh, there's, there's just going to be so many guys who are basically playing basketball all summer long. And, you know, we've seen a spate of injuries late, obviously late in the season. Anyway. Is it too early for me to worry about this stuff right now? <laughs> am I, am uh, I spiraling? <laughs> I don't think it's too early, but the, the flip side of that is like you, you hit on something there real quick before we get into everything that I kind of wanted to touch on. We never really did was the fact that Dame actually said yes to Team USA. Right. Yeah. Like that. That wasn't like a happy marriage the last time around when he got, you know, spurned for Derrick Rose. Well, maybe the timing is just right now. I guess. Uh, I mean, I don't think his brand, like if you're looking at it from like a brand perspective, gets any bigger. I think he's at that level where the only thing that really elevates him now is like a finals appearance. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, this kind of, and you know, opens the whole debate of, you know, how much do you think Damian Lillard, com- you know, cares about his brand in terms of mm-hmm. like, you know, USA basketball or, you know, the, the FIBA world cup or, you know, I don't know. It's he's, he's a unique uh, talent and a unique guy in the league in terms of the things that he has, you know, announced either through his actions or through his words about what he cares about. Um, And it just seems like, like I said, the timing just seems right for him to, you know, be ready to do team USA stuff right now. I think the fun part about it is if you're looking from the other side of it is the fact that guys that, you know, the team USA had overlooked him for, mm-hmm. um, he's clearly shown out over the last three years that he's substantially better than all of them. Like it's the point guard pantheon is Steph, then Dame, mm-hmm. then everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, if you're talking about like the timing wise, it could be nice as a point of like, yeah, he, he's the guy. And he should be getting the opportunity and uh, they should be kind of kissing his butt. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I hope that that's the way that it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, cause before what was he, you know, he was also competing with Chris Paul and, and Russell, Russell Westbrook. Westbrook. And I don't, was yeah. with Lowry in it then too, as well. Yeah. Lowry was there. Rose was there. There were all these guys who'd put in their time before Damien and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's, it's, that I've, I've lately become really interested in the, the generational turnover uh, in the NBA right now. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't have enough historical perspective on, you know, what it's like when, you know, one player's generation kind of turns over to another player's generation. But I feel like we're sort of at a precipice right now. And it kind of reminds me of a conversation that we had down at Summer League where we were talking about guys with long careers who went from being like the guy, the big star, like you're talking like Vince Carter to willingly taking on being like the 11th guy off the bench, you know, who like, so I don't know. It just, it makes me wonder, you know, what the next one year, much less five years, much less 10 years is going to bring to the league. No, that's a really good point. I don't want to get sidetracked too much. I know we're completely off track. I know, but I want to talk about this a little bit because I I think it's a really important thing is, is like where the Blazers currently sit um, and the generational gap 
and like what it means around the league. So ESPN Sports Center, well, I can't remember which one it was, but like put out like a here's your way too early look at 2021 free agents, and it had like uh, Giannis, Beal, Kawhi, LeBron. CJ, a couple other guys that were on the list that right now are all like, yeah, that makes sense right now. In three years, Tara, LeBron's going to be going into his age 37 season. Like, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> like, the, the way the generations are shifting, and this is going to just look ridiculous. In, in three years, Giannis is going to be heading into his age 27 season. That's how young he is. It's insane when you really look at it. But you look at all these generational guys, and they're all going to be old. Like the, the only guys who are like sub-30 are Giannis and Beal and like one other. CJ's 30, 31. Dame's 32, 33. It's like, oh, good God. What is what is going on here? Like all these guys are getting much older than you know we kind of think of in our head. Like if I, if I just asked you how old Steph Curry is, what would you say? Is he 20, not, 28, 29? 29? He's 30. He's 30? Yeah. Okay. Like, it's like, when you when you think about it, actually, no, he just turned 31 in March. Okay. So, I mean, it's, but in our heads, we all think of, like, still Steph Curry, like, fresh out of Davidson. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I mean. Like, this whole idea, and it's kind of, to, to tie this back to the Blazers, one thing I think they've done a really good job of that they didn't do for a couple years was have that next generation of guys behind Dane. Mm -hmm. So you have that ability to kind of mix them together. Right. Because if you look at all the title teams over the last 20 years, they all have their superstars. They all have their role players, but they all had young guys on those rookie contracts that contributed. Right. Right. And it's almost like over the last couple of years, everybody has stopped um, worrying as much about the guys coming up behind in their, you know, manic like quest to get the superstar and to do everything that they could to land the superstar. If that meant clearing the books, if that meant if you had a promising young player who you don't even know what they're going to become, but you trade them in order to have the opportunity to have one of these superstars, it's like, you know, all those other younger guys have just sort of spread throughout the league and as opposed to having been internally developed by a team. And when you see that, it's rare. Yeah, the dynamic shift with the generations is also has a, a, a interesting timing with the, the dynamic shift in the league from the Warriors having this consolidation of talent plus a few other teams to, you know, literally every team damn near in the league with two superstars now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like it's that, interesting. Those it's two things gone to two superstars. Yeah, and, and those two things have basically kind of bounced everything around. Where you're like, oh wow, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, uh, we get super let's, let's philosophical get the, in the off season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, this is uh, this is that this is that elective class you take when you've got to get some credits, but you don't really don't know what to take. But it's that that week uh, in between uh, terms in the winter time where you just spend one week taking one class. That's what this is. Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know. Let's just figure out what happens. Speaking of what happens, um, you went down and kind of saw how the sausage was made uh, at Las Vegas Summer League. Yes, this was my fifth annual trip. Woo! I uh, fortunately or unfortunately didn't go. Uh, I think after Mexico, I don't think I would have been able to survive that. Like vacation straight into yeah. 110 degree Vegas heat. That's just that's that's probably too much. But uh, what were your thoughts, reactions? So, takeaways. So I watched less basketball this year than I ever have. Um, oh, perfect. Well, <laughs> I mean, usually I'll go and I'll watch like five games a day or whatever. And for whatever reason, at the beginning of my time there, I ended up like having conversations with people from other teams because that's one of the things I love about Summer League is just having people from other teams all in the same place because I always want to know what's going on with other teams. So I was spending a lot of time talking with them. And then the basketball that I did watch – it just seemed like, I mean, I, it's summer league basketball, so I, I feel like I already had appropriate expectations going into it. I knew what I was getting into. And what I love about summer league is usual, just like those giant, huge, massive missed windmill dunks and like these huge blocks that go up into the 13th row and just everybody like giving so hard that they're just bodies flying everywhere. And it and it's really messy, but like you can tell that people just are giving everything, everything. And it just didn't feel like that this year. It was just more like it looked more like, you know, your practice scrimmages, I guess. I mean, 
I wouldn't say that to the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves who are going to be competing for the championship. Um, but a lot of the teams I watched, it just kind of felt like, you know, okay, turn your sh- shirts inside out. You're the red team and you're the white team. Go out there and play. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, some league can always devolve into that. Yeah. So, uh, but one of the enjoyable things that I did is I watched a couple of Pelicans games with a bunch of Pelicans writers. And that was so fun because they were so optimistic. Like, you could tell that a huge weight had been lifted off of them in terms of like having, you know, gotten out from underneath the Anthony Davis drama plus the addition of Zion and they like every play down the thing, they would be like, Oh my God, that was amazing. We're going to be able to watch that all year long. This is going to be fantastic. And they were like, they were just having so much fun. And it's just one of those like things that's contagious at summer league. Cause you go, Oh yeah, that's, that could be that could be amazing. What if they do that? That's that's exactly the snowball of awesome. Yeah, like that's exactly how the regular season is going to go. All these guys right now who are playing in summer league are just going to step right out onto the court on you know October twenty fifth, and it's going to be exactly the same. But uh, I mean, you can't blame you know anybody for having the optimism because it's just like totally contagious. Especially the Pels guys yeah. because like what the season they just went through, they want to you know their franchise guy they want to yeah. strangle. Yeah, that's what uh, I mean. They had just like <laughs> you know they had just like had this burden you know that had been hanging over them um lifted and they just like it was like all the future there was just so much potential so i i had fun watching games i watched i saw two blazer games while i was down there and i uh oh i watched our old friend t rob playing in he's playing for san antonio mm-hmm. and i actually watched two games of his so that was kind of fun i looked up and i was like is that t rob like RT Rob, <laughs> not RT, you know. Well, do do you want to talk about that? Because plenty of people after Hiken's interview and kind of like what that mean, what that meant for Thomas Robinson uh, in the last twenty four hours, getting back in the league and the Blazers needing a big man spot. What what were your takeaways from T Rob? Well, do you want to say what you know? Paraphrase kind of what was written about in that in the article. Yeah, I guess I'll tee it up that way. So for anybody that didn't read it, Sean got. One of the best quotes I think I've ever heard from a player uh, as far as talking about tenure and time in the league and and, uh, situations. And basically a GM sat him down after, you know, a couple washout teams in the league and called him a a basketball idiot. Said, hey, man, you got to figure this out. Like your IQ is not there. You may have all the raw talent in the world, but you just don't know what you're doing. And for T-Rob to actually admit that that happened. And that he's that he's working on that to understanding how to be that guy, how to be in the right place, how to be in the right spot. Um, Super honest. To, yeah, that, that's like that's kudos to the GM too because I mean, T. Rob was a guy coming out of high school, you know, going to Kansas. He was a force. He was a physical force. But I mean, like that, those were the, the things. Like, what, what what's the one move that we all know Thomas Robinson for? Right, the spin and dunk. Mm-hmm over and over and over again. And that was, that was like his default setting was, you know, <laughs> the spin, wash and dunk. And it's, it's, it's crazy to see him accept that. You want to talk about like what you were talking about earlier, the ability of like Vince Carter, like the old guard to transition fr- from the superstar in the league to the 11th guy on the bench. Mm-hmm. Like for, for a guy like T-Rob, who was one of the top prospects coming in his class to wash out the league and say, Hey, you know, I had a, you know, a come to God moment and, and had to figure this all out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. Well, and you know, one of the things that he talked about in the article is about how, you know, he had been so athletic and so just naturally talented that he never spent the time learning the fundamentals. Um, and so, you know, what I saw at summer league was a much less spectacular T-Rob because, you know, he was a human highlight reel. That's just, that's what he was. He did have some, you know, like some alley-oops and some dunks and stuff. But for the most part, I he looked like he was, you know, just trying to play the right kind of basketball. And the other thing that I really stood out is that he was a lot, uh, I mean, uh, smaller, I guess. I mean, you know, he used to have those, you know, big, giant upper torso with all that strength up there. And, the lats for days. Yeah, and he just looked more, I don't know, like a 
he d- he just didn't look so huge, I guess, a little more lithe, a little more nimble, maybe maybe not nimble because he is getting up in the years and like, you know, 20 less show muscles and more functional. Yeah, muscles. that's a good way to say like more balanced and and just like, you know, he looked like he was, you know, trying to do everything the right way. So I don't know if he'll, you know, land on a team, but he certainly looked like he was working hard to to prove it. Mm hmm. Uh, basketball wise, though. Do you think he's the fit for Portland? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I any, I I feel like at this point anybody could have at least some modicum of success in Portland because of the system that they run. But I think there's probably other players that they could use. I think that I think they'd want somebody that has a uh, you know they're always looking for guys who have actual championship run or you know playoff experience. Um, and, you know, at this point, if they can find a journeyman, you know, with with, you know, that I think that'd be better than taking a flyer on a guy who's still trying to make it in the league, though. I, you know, I think, a yeah, like a younger team that he could sort of teach his lesson to. I think that would be a more a better place for him and a better fit. I don't think Portland really yeah. needs somebody like him right now. Yeah, I'm still uh it's- crazy as this is i'm still team uh team joe kim noah <laughs> I, I still think that's probably the best possible fit and i, never, I know a lot of people are and i just here's something else i want to touch on real quick before we move on to the next subject is i when livingston was was released there was like well we just we need sean livingston we need sean livingston and i'm like we just had sean livingston his name's evan turner mm-hmm. like I, I i don't i don't understand the idea of of bringing in Livingston when you just had essentially the same kind of player and even less of a shooter. Like I think Livingston last check, I think he had taken two threes. Well, I Uh, think when anybody who, you know, it's the name recognition. Yeah. And they come on the market with, again, that deep, deep. I mean, this guy has multiple rings, right? So, I mean, there's, you know, he's taken 10 threes in the last uh, three years. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, getting worked up about people wanting Sean Livingston, like wait a couple of days before you get too mad about it. <laughs> like see if it, you know, it might be more just like the excitement of like, Oh, Sean Livingston doesn't have a team. Maybe he could be a big fit, but I don't think that necessarily means that like people are going to like show up at the Moda center and demand Sean Livingston, you know? No, it's, I've seen a lot of people that are just like really adamant about it. And it's like, we, we just had that guy. It, like you, 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 you just spent the last couple of years like yelling about how there's not enough shooting on this roster, and you want to bring one of the only wing forward types in the league who's a less of a shooter than Evan. <laughs> it's just like he's he's taken ten total threes over the last three years. He's taken seventy three threes in his entire career. Tara Ed Davis may have taken almost that many. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like when you really look at it, it's like holy crap, he really hasn't shot threes. At all. So he has, what, one, two, three seasons in his career where he's made more than one three. Well, I would be really surprised if the Blazers decided to uh, uh, make a bid for Sean Livingston. But you said you like Noah. I strongly believe that the first thing that they will do with their remaining two spots is land a big man. Okay. So why, why Noah? He fits what they want to do. They, he, he plays the same way? base. Defensive coverage. Um, it's the, the the drop coverage, ice coverage that that the Blazers have run that that or that Thibodeau put together. I mean, guess what center he used to to do it with mm-hmm. Noah. So defensively, it makes sense. Offensively, uh, he actually showed that he's got some gas on the tank left with uh, Memphis. He's um, yeah, he really was a bright spot for them a few times when he, there was not much really else going was, on for yeah. them. And the thing is, like, I'm not asking this guy to come in and play 25 minutes, 30 minutes a night. But, like, seeing as, as what he did last year in, like, what, 15 minutes, 16 minutes? He, I think you want to say he made, like, 7 and 6. Yeah, he was 7, he was seven and 6. Um, and the big takeaway, though, is in that 7 and 6, he had two assists. <laughs> like, he, he would fit re- in really well as uh-huh. that third playmaker uh-huh. uh, that working in the pinch post. And if you're talking about a guy like, uh, Anthony Simons running the point and you want to kind of lift him up with some more playmaking on the floor. So it's not all falling dependently on or independently on him. So you have his on the floor, you have Joe Kim Noah. Now you've got guys you can run the offense through and you throw two other shooters out there. Now all of a sudden you've got the makings of a somewhat competent offense, right? 
Yeah, I am not ready to just hand over the key. I don't I don't think the Blazers are going to just hand the keys over to Anthony yet for the second unit. And maybe they will. I don't know. I have no idea what the Blazers are going to do. But in my opinion and from what I saw, I would rather see Anthony spend the next year continuing to work on his excellent, excellent ability to get his own shot, uh, continue to work on his defense that is already strong without having to worry too much about being a playmaker as well. Um, I think it's going to be, like I said, somewhat jokingly there about handing over the keys. I'm perfectly okay with it. I, I, I would like to see the Blazers do it. And I think for the first time since Damian Lillard, they're going to have um, a young guy make mistakes and they're going to live with it. Like, I mean, Zach got the short leash. Um, trying to think who else over the last couple of years they've uh, layman, they need a second round guys. Um, they've short leashed all of them. Dane's really the only one that they've had. Myers, Myers got short leashed plenty of times. Uh, Dane was the only one. They just kind of let play through mistakes. And I genuinely believe that they are willing to let Anthony play through mistakes. And I know that's a high leverage situation. They're going to be looking, you know, deeper in the playoffs, but I genuinely think they're going to go. Yeah, no, I we're We're going to let him do it. We're confident he can be able to do it. And they're not looking for him to be a playmaker like Chris Paul or Westbrook or any or Harden or any of those types, because Dame's not that CJ's not that it's going to be, uh, Work out of the motion offense, work off the DHOs, work off the pick and rolls, look for your shot because you're a shot creator, shot taker, shot maker. And then within the flow of the offense, find other guys. And what I saw from him in Vegas was a lot of his turnovers with the exception of post-entry passes. I saw people like getting mad about post-entry passes. Number one, Evan was the best post-entry passer this team had. Like that's that's like not even debatable at this point. Um, Dame and CJ both eh, iffy on that. Same with lob passing. Um, like those are like lost arts. So Anthony not being great at post entry pass to Jarnell Stokes in the in the summer league doesn't really bother me. Uh, I was more looking at him pushing the pace. Like when he when he was getting rebounds or he was getting the initial break started off either a, a, a make or a miss or a turnover, he looked to get it up court. Yeah, he was like, nice in transition too. Yeah, and that's that's something that has been drastically missing. Right. And that's what uh, Hazonia is going to be good at too. I mean, think about Anthony yes. and Hazonia on in transition. That's going to be fun. Yes, They're exactly. And like, if and if that second unit can be better in the open court and create more transition opportunities, well then now we've got easier points for him where you don't have to have him in the in the half court as much. The flip side of this is well well then you're kind of dependent on transition. It's like, well it doesn't need to necessarily be dependent. It can like uplift it. It can be in support of. Uh the other one is, is like when I watched him in the pick and roll, I, I was looking at a at a veteran. Hmm. With, with, with how he attacked pick and rolls, the angles he was taking, the space he was creating, decisions he was making off the pick and roll. The only place I would nitpick is, and this is, I think, something that they probably talked to him about on how to work on it. And he's trying to, I think, mimic Damon CJ. This is the byproduct of that. How many times did you see Anthony try to split a double team or a trap? I don't know. I wasn't watching for that. Uh, how many did you okay. see? <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, it, it, it was very often. Almost every, every opportunity that presented itself, he tried to attack mm-hmm. it. To, to get the four on three. So I would say that my hesitation in having him, you know, um, command the bench offense is that I don't think he's there in terms of communication. I think he's a naturally very quiet guy. And like the thing about Damien is that, you know, while he may have made mistakes, uh, it was always very clear, like, that he had a strong command of what was going on on the court. And I don't know if uh, it, it didn't – and it could have been because of who he was playing with. He wasn't playing with a bunch of guys who were, you know, the long-term part of the team. But I didn't get that same sense of sort of floor generalness that I've seen from other players from him. And that just feels like something that he could work on and be coached on while he's continuing to be. He just looks like a really good shooting guard to me, I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, The the flip side of this is, is is in this system that a really good shooting guard can look like Damian Lillard. Cause I mean, Damian, like what's Dame's career high in a season? I don't think he ever cracked seven a game assist wise. No, 6.9 is his highest. And that was this last year. You mean uh, it, average per game. Yeah. 
Yeah, seven, seven per game. So, I mean, you round up to seven. But, I mean, when you talk about floor generals around the league, like, you're not sitting here talking about Damian Lillard. Now, you're talking about him as a great leader, a great scorer, uh, a great captain. I, but I don't think he's put in that playmaking level when realistically he should because he doesn't have necessarily the the big numbers to back it up. And that's because of the balance play between the system, between him and CJ. And I think playing on that second unit, having Hazonia, let's say they land Noah, I think that when you do that – his gravity by his playmaking is going to come out of him being a shot taker and a shot maker. Like having that, that pull that's going to open him up and open those avenues up for other people. And what I saw from him in summer league is a guy that's not necessarily a floor general, but he's never holding the ball. Like when I'm, when I'm watching him attack the rim, he's got his eyes up. Like when he's attacking the rim, I'm seeing him look for lobs. I'm seeing him look for the kick out three. Um, I'm seeing him try to, well, try to split that double team. He's looking for guys for the next step after he draws that four on three. So I think it's a different style of guard that we're used to that he's going to fit in that mold. But we have this idea of like what a point guard is. And I think it's it it's different than what it has been here in Portland over the last couple of years. I still think that they should have a an at least one other player who can play backup point guard because also what if the what if the worst thing happens and something happens to one of these guys? That's just they're just too thin. Yeah, the, I get that, and that's where I go with if they're gonna sign that other point guard. Um, I want it to be an old head. Mm-hmm. Like I want it to be a guy that I don't. I don't want anybody to push Ant. Like, I don't want anybody out there who's pushing for minutes. Like, I've heard a lot of people say, again, Livingston, and I don't think Livingston's ready to be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to play tonight. I think Livingston still is like, hey, I can help a team. I want, yeah, I, I just want somebody who has that presence to organize everybody because the thing about the like the flow offense when you're playing in the flow of offense everybody has to like know and recall all of their different options and you know go to where you know it feels like the offense is going in that moment or whatever but you still need to have somebody who's an anchor and that's what I don't want I I just think it would be good if Anthony didn't have to worry about being that person too at this point yeah, I mean, if you're looking at those types, I think the two that are out there are Devin Harris and Jose Calderon. Uh, I think both of them would make sense. Devin Harris obviously played in Dallas. Uh, did not play at the same time as Stotts. They were apart by a year. However, Carlisle runs essentially the same basic offensive tenets. Uh, so the offense – and probably I'm assuming the terminology is still pretty close to the same too. Uh, so having uh, having a guy like that who – been around the league and knows the system, knows how they want to play, uh, would probably make a lot of sense. And again, isn't going to push Ant. I just for to kind of wrap up the summer league question or discussion um, with between like Gary Trent Jr., Nas Little, and Horde. I mean. One of the things that I noticed about Gary Trent Jr., he had that one really great shooting game. He ended up with a pretty good, I think, his final game. He His line looked good. He, yeah. he was doing pretty good. He was – I could tell he was working really hard on um, – like he was over-talking to the coach a lot. He was paying attention. Like, you know, even though on the night – even in the games where he it wasn't falling – you know, he'd turn around, look at Moran, look at one of those other, um, you know, coaches to get advice. He was really actively working on improving. And I, re- it was, it was fun to watch that. Cause like, you could tell that he's like super serious. He wants to take the next leap and he's going to put in the work to do that. And he clearly looked like that's what he was doing. Yeah, no, it, it, he definitely looked like if nothing else, he was not short of confidence, right? Like those, those were, those were real things that we saw from him. And it was like, Hey, you know what? This, this kid looks this looks pretty good. I'm okay. And here's the thing: Will it translate? Will it matter next season? I think he's he's a candidate for the Jake Lehman treatment. Mm-hmm. Like he he could get off the bench and play some minutes, and, and if he earns it and, and shows he can deliver, he can get more. But he could be just as quickly fifteen games of DNPs. Right. I could see Jake Lehman year two. I mean, I think you know, not year three. Last year was Jake Lehman year three, and that's when he got the the real the real time. And I feel like mm-hmm. this would be you know year two. Yeah, you, like you said, a little bit here, a little bit there. But you know what? Yeah. Just when we think we know what's going to happen, suddenly he starts starts Noah Vonley for you know <laughs> half of it. I, I will say this: <laughs> I, I think Nas Little is about as glued to the bench as he can be. Yeah, you don't think he looks he, ready? It, it's 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 nothing against the kid. I, I I love his potential. I love the athleticism and, the, and his headiness and his willingness to work. But his offensive game is so rough. Right, and there's a that, lot of guys think, in front I, of him. 
Yeah, and I think the Blazers have committed to, you know what, hey, we'll be a strong defensive unit in the sense of a team, but it's more important for us to have at least four, if not five guys out there who can get buckets. And and Nas is, he doesn't have anything you were like, that's, we can count on him to, to be a finisher in transition. We can count on him to be a knockdown three point shooter in the corner. Like there's nothing there. We're like, "Eh." but I will say this, if he, if there is a chance for him to play his way onto the floor, it will be because of defense. Right. Well, and you know, we just talked about the gen, the generations, right. And, you know, having to have some kid, some of the younger guys that you are developing to take on a stronger role later. Like everybody can't be in the rotation right away. There's just not enough minutes to go around for 15 guys. Right. So someone has to be developing uh, and coming along. Cause I mean, I, I got to think I'm super curious about how they're going to use his I'm very anxious. I think that could be really fun. I think, this is not to get too detracted from anything here, but I I firmly believe that he's going to be Evan Turner. I know that's what I, I keep thinking of as Evan way. Turner Jr. and no, and he's got the attitude to back it up. <laughs> yeah, that's what really makes fun. You know, when I was uh, talking to you know other writers um, about these guys, yeah, they were they were saying, okay, can I just I got one more uh, summer league thing that I really enjoyed was all yeah, no, all these. Golden State Warrior fans coming up to me going, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys traded Myers Leonard. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so happy for Myers for that, right? Because, like, Golden State, you know, people remember Myers Leonard just going Absolutely off going on them and just, like, yeah, going, like, melting them down. And I was just so happy for them that, like, you know, people who have been watching the Golden State Warriors for years be so good were just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe your team doesn't have Myers Leonard anymore. How are you guys going to do that? I mean, he's so good. And, like, you, we both love Myers. Um, but the Myers that – we saw in that game wasn't necessarily, you know, the Myers that we've seen for the last seven years. I was genuinely just really happy that when, when I found out, you know, that, that, that was his last game, that that was his last game. Yeah. Like that's, uh, Dane Delgado wrote an article. Like it was, that's the fitting way to end, Mm -hmm. um, his tenure here because of how up and down it was Mm -hmm. to go out on, on a stage like that in the Western conference finals in, what was truly an unbelievable first right. half performance? It was twenty five points in the first half. What was he eleven of thirteen? Yeah, it I was. Think he was like, unbelievable. Yeah, it was. It was about as close to a perfect half of basketball as someone can play. Right. And everybody just wanted him to have it. And it was also really nice to have him come and hang out with the Portland fans and get yes. a chance to say goodbye. And like. You know, like when I shook his hand and he put his two giant hands around mine and looked right in my eyes and I said, thank you for, you know, the time. It was really great watching you grow up in Portland. And he was like, thank you. That means so much to me. And I was just like, I needed that closure. He's a good he's a good dude. Yeah. I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I can't remember what we were talking about. We were talking about Golden State Warriors. Summer League, yeah. Golden State, and I think you were going to mention some of the other people that you talked to right. from the teams that Portland may or may not be competing with. Yes, yes. It was fun to sit down with other writers and just try to figure out like who even people had on their own team <laughs> because things have changed so completely. Um, and so I did sit down and I you know, put a microphone in front of a few of – uh, the writers from some of the teams that we're probably going to see a lot of or who went through a lot of uh, interesting changes. Uh, so I wanted to play some of those throughout the next couple of weeks so that we could try to figure out how, you know, what any of that is going to mean to the Blazers. Um, so first up, I spoke with Harrison Fagan of uh, – he writes for Silver Screen and Roll about the Lakers because, as we all know, the Lakers have had quite the off season. maybe not quite the off season they thought they were going to have. <laughs> Harrison has a pretty funny analogy for that. Uh, so let's go ahead and listen to Harrison and then check back in and we can talk about, like, you know, what we think uh, the current situation for the Lakers is going to actually mean for the Blazers. I'm here now with Harrison Fagan from Silver Screen and Roll to talk about the Lakers. You had quite a summer down there in Los Angeles. Uh, can you start off by, is it possible to just kind of summarize what happened in less than an hour and a half? 
I don't know. Uh, the way that I have described their off season is it's sort of like, do you watch The Office? It's sort of like that scene where Kevin is like fun. He's walking around with he's walking in with the thing of chili and he spills it on the ground and it's like all over the place and he's like trying to swap it up. But like imagine if that scene, if it had melted through the floor and then there was gold under there, like that's kind of how the Lakers got to where they got to is like the, the rambuses and the craziness of the coaching search and somehow missing out on like their two top candidates or at least one. And like because they lowballed him having to go with Frank Vogel, who wasn't even part of the initial search, like the craziness with the Jason Kidd hire and all that. But then like they almost got Kawhi Leonard and they pivoted pretty well on their plan B. So they've they've made out OK. It wasn't obviously like the ideal. It wasn't the path that you dropped to get here. But they've mostly come out of it all right. So interesting things happened on pretty much every single level down there, like from the very top. And, you know, maybe there's been like some giant turnover in, um, you know, Staples Center staff as well. I don't know. But which of the kind of areas where there was turnover, coaching staff, front office mayhem, uh, player staff, which one do you think is going to have like the biggest impact I think it has to be the players just because they finally decided to pivot back to like normal, rational NBA thinking and sign shooters around LeBron James. It's this revolutionary new plan that no one's ever tried before, except for literally everyone else who's had success with LeBron. Um, and so I think that just having players that make sense, even though it's obviously their first option would have been to get Kawhi. And I think that they were confident they were going to get him. And obviously that didn't happen. But once they didn't, Almost every single guy that they've signed, other than I think like basically Rondo, is a capable three-point shooter. And you'll be able to space the floor around Anthony Davis and LeBron, which is really what you need at this point. You don't need necessarily a bunch of playmakers. You don't need all of that other stuff that they tried to pivot to last season. And, you know, I know that Lakers fans are a little up and down on Rob Polinka, especially after kind of the crazy offseason that they've had. But just on the player signings front, I think he overpaid a few of them, but they at least have guys that make sense now. And I think that that will make the biggest impact on the team because the front office drama, ultimately it matters. But with all the guys that have functional no trade clauses because they're on kind of one year deals via bird rights. And so it would be hard to have like the trade deadline madness that they had last year. And there's no like old guys versus young guys kind of dynamic or like split in the locker room. And, you know, I just think that overall, just the players that they've signed is going to make the biggest difference. So you feel like the roster as it is, is probably there at least through the end of the season. You don't foresee a bunch of trade deadline. Maybe they trade one or two of them, but it would, it for me, it's just hard to imagine all of these guys agreeing to go to the same place to like be kind of consolidated together and packaged somewhere else. I just think the gymnastics of that are kind of functionally really hard to do. Um, and like all the other guys can't be traded till December because they're new signings that uh, so it's just like it would be tough for them to shake things up very much if they can do so at all. I mean, it's a LeBron team, so there's always going to be some antsiness where yeah, like some stuff will happen and there's going to be drama this year. You have the whole Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd situation. You have two stars in Los Angeles. So there's going to be, you know, we're going to get some loosely sourced stories about whose team it is and how they're fighting for control. And what, like, I don't necessarily believe that that's the case, but um, there's going to be drama. It's L.A. That's how it is. But um, yeah. So for because so much turnover has happened and so much has been going on over the last couple of weeks. Can you just, for people who don't know the Lakers as well as you do, just summarize like who are the main players now on the team besides LeBron and Anthony Davis? Who's okay. Left? So this is all right. So I got, I'm getting quizzed on the roster there at 14. You now, don't have so, to do all of them. Just um, like who are the, the main, yeah, you, I who you so, imagine are going to be the mainstays. Uh, I think, you know, obviously like, so LeBron and Anthony Davis will be the two biggest impact contributors. And they're apparently going to like quote unquote, start LeBron at point guard. So he will bring the ball up now and control the offense instead of just getting Rondo it. feels about that. Cross I don't know. The fact that they brought Rondo back and then they're still probably not going to start him at point guard and have LeBron do it is strange to me. But I don't know. I don't run the team. And, you know, I, I kind of considered it inevitable that he was going to be back the second they traded for Anthony Davis just because he's really close with Anthony Davis. He's really close with LeBron. And then once they signed Boogie, Boogie, I yeah. was like, it's a matter of minutes before <laughs> we get the Rondo news. And then I think it was like 15 minutes later we got that Woj bomb or whoever reported it. Um, so 
like I don't I think Rondo will play just because he's close to all those guys on the team and that's going to matter for locker room dynamics. Um, you know, I think they have JaVale McGee who will play some role. DeMarcus Cousins will play a role. Uh, Avery Bradley, it seems like right now, I, I don't know this, but just based on the amount of money that they gave him, it seems like they consider him a rotation player. And if they're going to start LeBron at point guard, they're going to need someone to defend point guard. So I imagine Avery Bradley may end up starting at quote unquote small forward and then actually guard the point guards and LeBron will guard the wings. Um, yeah, so I think we hit. I mean, KCP is back for some reason, so uh, he will play again, I guess. Uh, I'm not incredibly excited to watch that after the last two years, but yeah, and then Alex Caruso's back. He's uh, my he's my guy. I really like I him. I love I'm, watching him play. <laughs> I'm really happy that he got a deal. He's like no, like nobody's worked harder over the last two years than him, and to, he's finally getting paid as an NBA player, so that's great. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else like that I'm missing. There's probably somebody really uh, well. Danny Green uh, is the oh, one. Yeah. yeah, their third highest paid player is yeah. Well, so I, I think Are you that, happy about that pickup. That one seems. I think that that was a really good signing, even though obviously they overpaid. And I think that the reason they overpaid was because they had to be like, well, look, if we miss out on Kawhi, we'll give you this amount of money so that you don't have to take your fallback money from the Mavericks. And they basically paid him like $6 million short of what the Mavericks offer was for three years. So it's a massive upgrade, and that's how you get guys to wait on you. And Danny Green is literally the perfect kind of player that you would want with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. He's 3 and D, spaces the floor really well. I know he struggled in the playoffs, but everybody kind of can get banged up by then. And so there's a possibility that happens again, but there's a possibility he's totally fine. And so that was it was a little bit of an overpay, but it's the kind of guy that you'd think potentially with those two. I don't know how you feel about this, but like I, I would think that could be greater than the sum of their parts with those three just because he's kind of a perfect remora fish to kind of follow those two sharks around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he he seems like, well, he was so critical, I think, to Kawhi's success. I mean, obviously yeah, yeah. Kawhi was, was great, and I think it's absolutely perfect that they're still in the same city yeah. so they can still see each yeah, other, check in regular, because I imagine, you know, Kawhi's had the same guy with him this whole time, so at least they're going to be in, yeah. in the same city. They can room together. Yeah, I didn't want to, like, show. open a wound bring, bringing up Kawhi. <laughs> no, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> But um, so we talked a lot about the people who are coming in. Who are some of the guys that you're going to miss? Uh, I'm definitely going to miss. I will not miss covering the LeVar angle of this, but I will miss having Lonzo around. I think that he uh, he was honestly like if a blogger became an NBA player. He's like very like it's very subtly funny. He's funnier online than in person. Um, he's a nice guy. I, I just like and honestly, I really enjoyed watching him play. I know that a lot of people. Uh, online it's like kind of fashionable to make fun of the jump shot and i get it it's janky like he's it's not a sure thing that he's going to be a star or anything like that but uh, i really enjoyed watching him play and how tenacious he is on defense how willing he kind of was to do whatever on offense to make up for his deficiencies like before he got hurt him and lebron had developed a really good like one three screening game where he was kind of doing what Kyrie used to do in the playoffs as far as screening for lebron but he was a little better at it just because he's a little bigger and stronger and then like he was getting the ball in like the dream on spot down near the nail. And um, I just think he's a really versatile guy. He's already really impactful despite not being able to shoot where, like probably better than either of us for the most part. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'll take that back. Lonzo can definitely outshoot me. Um, I'm not challenging an NBA player to a shooting contest. But you know, I really enjoyed watching him play. He's just like kind of I like guys that there's not really a comp for that are just kind of weird. And. So I enjoyed watching him from that angle as well, and I hope he does well in New Orleans. Awesome. Any any other aspects of the offseason you want to touch on? No, I just like, you know, I'm right now I'm excited to have them wrap up their free agency signings whenever they fill this last roster spot. And then uh, I'm going to Hawaii in August. So get to go take a break before. And then we get started on like pre-writing the like Jason Kidd is going to be interim head coach as soon as, you know, he does his inevitable coup. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. Well, thank you so much, Harrison, for joining me. Yeah, can happy you to be uh, you want to tell people like how to find you and how to find your work? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at h m f a i g e n. That's at h m fagan. Uh, I tweet a lot about the Lakers and also like my cat. So uh, that's great, and, or not? You know, if it's not your thing, uh, Silver Screen and Roll is the website that I write for. And if you enjoyed this podcast, or you know, you want to check us out, or you want any coverage of the Lakers, just search Silver Screen and Roll on Spotify, iTunes, whatever podcast app you use. And we have the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. I'm really proud of the team that we've been able to put together. And uh, yeah, just if you want some news on the Lakers, those are the places to check out.
Okay. So um, I took away a couple of things from that conversation, and I'm wondering. Conversation? You mean Lakers propaganda? <laughs> Well, maybe it works because there are – it did raise a couple of concerns for me, but it also kind of made me not worry about certain things. That's better feeling. So, you know, there's a strong – they don't have Drew Holiday, but there's kind of a strong resemblance or just sort of a hearkening back to that horrific uh, Pelicans uh, sweep you know, with yeah. Anthony Davis and Rondo. And even though, you know, Boogie wasn't on that team, they're still just like the idea of him was was on that team. So for the Blazers' sake, I worry a little bit about that because I worry about them going, oh, let's just send Danny Green and two other guys after Damian the whole time. And, you know, because it worked when you guys were in New Orleans. So that that's kind of a concern for me. Um, but one thing that I do think that is going to be more of a story than I think, uh, you know, Harrison alluded to is I think the coaching drama is going to be big. Um, and I think it's going to be distracting. They hired a head coach to be the assistant's assistant head coach. Right. And it's just like, and that former head coach, it's the assistant coach literally took somebody's job forced an organization to fire a coach under contract so he could come take that job and use that opportunity to try to leverage against another team. And there's no way in hell that this won't come back to bite him in the ass. No way. And Rondo could totally be a coach too. <laughs> like I look at him as like the next, you know, in line, like he could totally be a player coach as well. So I think that is going to be more drama than they think. Do you think the Blazers will be able to, uh, handle take care of the Lakers this year uh, I think to an extent yeah um the big one obviously is going to be you know without Nurkic with Nurkic yeah because you know like the Avengers have a Hulk we have a Nurkic mm -hmm. you know I mean like there hasn't been a whole lot of answers for for him like there there are there like we've talked about this plenty of times there's like three or four guys in the league who can physically handle Yusuf Nurkic all night long mm -hmm. like and he just Anthony Davis is not one of those guys like he, he, what if Anthony Davis is playing alongside JaVale McGee? Well, JaVale, no, that doesn't necessarily bother me. And I know JaVale has kind of been Nurkic kryptonite as far yeah. as shot blocking, but he kind of changed some of that narrative a little bit uh, before he got hurt. Um, the thing for me when I look at this is um, pre or, you know, obviously pre return of Nurkic. Well, what will the Blazers do? Well, you, you added hood. You're, you're hoping Zach figures it out and you hope Whiteside's got enough gravity to kind of, you know, solve that problem because the Lakers are going to be better. Like Danny Green's a good signing. It's a really, really good signing. I guess it was so good that it caught me by surprise because the Lakers don't historically make good signings, you know, in the past decade. Um, I think that's uh, going to present some problems, but, and I'm a huge LeBron guy. Like I'm, I'm one of those folks that goes, yeah, no, LeBron is the most talented player to ever play the game. Like physically talent package, the whole actually delivering on it, but he hasn't played defense in two years. So how they they treat that uh, is going to be really interesting, like how they compensate for that. And I guess you heard Harrison talk about that um, as far as what they may or may not do. But I still think there's plenty of holes. There's still like the chaos. And not, let's not let's not forget here the LeBron factor. Mm -hmm. Like LeBron is in is in and of himself chaos. So seeing how that part of it plays out should be interesting to say the least. It feels like the whole first half of the year is there's going to be a lot of adjusting things because, you know, the three guys, was it, was it three who left, um, you know, Ingram ball and there was, was there Hart. Hart. Right. I mean, yeah. those three, you know, you know, weren't, they played a lot they of minutes. They weren't a big three, but they were no. important and they had grown together and they, you know, were hitting their stride. So I kind of look at it as like, will Danny Green be enough to offset the loss of, you know, the combined uh, power of those three? Mm -hmm. And I... I just I don't know. I just I think there's going to be so much drama. And plus, now they also are going to have, you know, their uh, roommates, you know, the Clippers um, kind of in their heads, I would assume, um, after that offseason that. Yeah, I think it's going to – I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a rough year for the Lakers. I think I had a lot – I was a lot higher on the – I think. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But I think I was a lot higher on the Lakers last year. Oh. Um, 
I mean, I know they have. I know they have Anthony Davis now, but it's just I'm st- and I understand that Anthony Davis is you know a generational talent or whatever, but I still haven't really seen him do anything except for beat the Blazers and uh, you know sweep 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 the Lakers, or sorry sweep the Blazers in the first round of the playoffs. So I don't know. I think it'll be very interesting. I think we hit on something there that's going to be kind of the storyline for the first half of the season. That's the turnover. And it's not just the Lakers. It's the Lakers. It's the Blazers. It's the Clippers. I mean, you go up and down. It's, it's, it's OKC. Houston it's the now. Houston. It's hell. It's the Warriors. I know. I didn't. No clay. No KD. I was looking like, at their depth the chart and I was like, who are these people? I mean, it's going to be Steph, D'Lo, and Dre. That's going to be significantly different about how they attack teams. Yeah. D'Angelo Russell. I just, I can't. I just I don't even know what that's going to look like. <laughs> it's, honestly, I think it's going to be a fun watch because of the, of the difference between D'Lo and Clay. Like he's nowhere near the shooter that Clay is, obviously. But like the fact that he's going to have the ball in his hands and they're going to look a little different, I think is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they won't be just like cruising night in, night out, and killing mm-hmm. teams. Um, so that'll be fun too. Um, the Clippers, they I mean, yeah, you have to integrate, you know the two the one number one and number two options into your offense Uh like that's that's different like okay you you may have to change a lot so you know put everything together and i think doc's the coach to be able to do it but it's 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 gonna be interesting to see how all those things look hell portland portland's gonna gonna probably be a little bit more reliance on their wings for a little bit and to see how it works and then maybe reel it back so, I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty significant change. So we've talked a, a bunch over the last couple of years about, you know, the Blazers in transition. So, you know, in addition to never having um, very many assists, they're always like real low on transition. Um, <laughs> do you see, you know, with the addition of Hazonia and with the development of Anfernee, um or even, you know, some of the other new guys, do you see the Blazers doing any more in transition next year? Yeah, I think that'll be a way that it kind of unlocks the, the At second least for unit. For the second unit, right. Okay. Yeah. The first unit, I mean, Rodney's not, I mean, realistically, Rodney's kind of a traditional, what we've seen alongside Dame and CJ kind of wing. Doesn't doesn't really run a yeah. ton. Like, there was, there was a couple times in the playoffs where Rodney got in transition, and I was kind of shocked by how not good he looked. Compared to like what like the image that I had in my head of how how many times I'd seen him in the open court, I don't know if it was just like man, they don't really don't run here, so I'm kind of rusty. Yeah, no, it's just <laughs> so know? unusual to see anybody in our in the first <laughs> unit, except for you know occasionally Dame or CJ might leak out, but like I remember you know remember the handful of times that Nurkic got in transition and we were like, holy moly, yeah, look out, <laughs> here comes that freight train. Um, yeah, no, and I don't know if Whiteside the, the, does is is he any more active in transition? I don't really think he is. Yeah, no, he's 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 gonna fit in that mold pretty well. Um, yeah, the, the the free points. I'm I'm hoping the second unit can generate some of those free points in transition and uh, backdoor cuts, alley oops, things of that nature. To bring it back, just super briefly to the Lakers. Do you what what kind of highlights do you think you're gonna we're gonna see coming from a team such as their constructed? I mean, if they optimize that offense and they they play AD at the five, which he has said he does not like playing the five, he's he's the modern day Lamarcus. Uh, the I don't like playing the five, but you look at his numbers at the five. You're, and you're a like, five. Good <laughs> God, you're a five, dude. We're not letting you play anything else because your numbers at the five are insane. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the case with him. His his numbers at the five are otherworldly. So. Uh, if they're smart, um, the, the optimized lineups between Danny Green, LeBron at the four, uh, AD at the five, and then you're sprinkling whatever guards you want uh, for a little bit more spacing, uh, they're they're going to be hell to deal with. Uh, I think the interesting storyline I think a lot of people are overlooking here, and I'm, I'm not saying LeBron's done, but I want to see how a guy his size at his age um, comes back from a groin injury, mm-hmm. the first real injury he's had in his career. So I, I'm really interested to see how that comes together because let's say LeBron isn't LeBron anymore. Like, dare I say, how significant a blow is that for the Lakers? Where they like, we got LeBron, we got AD, we didn't get Kawhi, but we still we have a chance. And all of a sudden, LeBron takes one of those, 
you know, late career swoons that we've seen from players. He turns into a regular uh, star instead of a superstar. Yeah, that's that would be that would be nuts. Uh, I, I'm not hoping for it or anything like that. But as I sit here and I know LeBron and I are not even remotely closely related to the same species, but we're the same age. And I'm like, you know what? Things hurt a little bit more now than they did a year ago. You know, it's like I uh, coming back from a groin injury the first time at that size. Uh, I'm not saying he's washed and I'm not saying he's going to have problems. It's just for the first time in my life watching him, I'm finally like, you know, you, you saw God bleed. He's starting bit. to look a little human. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's yeah. a really interesting storyline as far as like what type of highlights we could see from this team, because the highlight may be the lack of highlights. Wow. You mean just like solid fundamental basketball? Just, yeah. <laughs> like, like LeBron having that, like, Maybe he loses that step and he becomes a little more groundbound. Yeah. And like the reason they're saying LeBron is the point guard is because he's like legitimately the point guard. So I think it just could me. be, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think it could be fun. Yeah. Well, I think let's go ahead and wrap it up here. And next week we'll talk about a different team and maybe also do a deep dive on uh, a different one of the new players. Although I've been watching uh, Hassan Whiteside. Um, uh, highlights all day, and I will report to you that he. I I watched all of his assists today. It didn't take very long. Didn't take you very long. <laughs> no, but you know <laughs> the curious thing is, will he? You know, in Stotts's offense, will he be more likely to uh, have more assists because he'll have more opportunities for him? But the thought at the the part that I thought you would be interested in, not a single bounce pass. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's not. They're gonna. all chest passes or high. He does a lot of high passes over people. He knows his and limits. You like I don't that. mind. You like that. High yes. stuff. So I thought you would like yeah. that. And the thing is, listen, if you're Steve Nash and you can keep the dribble alive at all times and throw a one handed, like reach wrap around bounce pass through traffic with either hand, you go ahead and do that. If you're Hassan Whiteside, you stick to what you know, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't want I don't want to see you outside the box. You got a box that you play in. Let's just let's just play in that. That's not your world. Now you want to do some wild stuff on a putback dunk? You go ahead and show out, big man. But <laughs> oh, everybody's <laughs> but homework for the week is to go watch all of Hassan Whiteside's assists. It'll take four minutes, uh, <laughs> and then figure out how he can be unlocked to get more assists within the uh, Blazers offense. If you're looking for the bright side of it, Plumlee went from 0.9 and I think Nurkic is at 1.2. Well, yeah, both of those guys increased their assist uh-huh. number. So I'm I'm like, I'm not being facetious here. Um, no, but I think it was increased opportunity plus skill. Right. Because I, I think both Plumlee and Nurkic have a no doubt ability as passers. And they were a lot younger when they came here than Whiteside yeah, is. And, Whiteside's and been Whiteside around is, a long time. That's the thing is I think he's more of your traditional big man. Like I think he's – his. this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I think he has blinders on of like this is – because if you don't know the Whiteside story, go kind of check it out because he came out of nowhere and then got a you know $100 million contract. But I think it was like this is what I do. I rebound. I block shots. I get dunks. Mm-hmm. And those are the things he just locked in on. He's like I'm going to do these and my, my counting number is going to look as good as anybody else's. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to make a team. And I just think he, some coach pulled him aside. He's like, man, you have got to have an NBA skill. What is it going to be? And those are what he just kind of locked mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And you know what? We need him to do him for a year or for half a yeah. year. And if he can step in and, you know, learn a couple of other uh, new tricks, that would be awesome too. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Dan, what do you have coming up? Do you, are you, is Outsiders still on during the summer? You're still on, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're still on. We're on every week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, 6.30 till 7. Uh, Joe, Shane, and I are all back. We just actually did our first show together, and all three of us together in three wow. weeks. It was kind of weird um, with everybody kind of taking their vacation. So it was cool. Um, do you have something cool? Uh, we will have uh, Young Simons. Anthony will be on the show July 25th. Uh, I've got confirmation that we're all locked in. So uh, make sure you tune in there. If you've got questions you want to ask, DM them to me. Shoot them to me on Twitter, whatever. Um, for the outsiders. For the outsiders, yes. This is that we're, uh, Joshi and I are going to have them in studio 
live. I'm trying to I'm trying to work with with uh, some folks to see if we can maybe uh, have a little horse competition with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can get him there a little bit early, you really want to sure shoot that- against him? <laughs> I, mean, I think I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> Good luck. Philip Seymour Hoffman out there. Make it rain, rain man. Just getting absolutely abused by a 20 year old. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's some of the big news we have coming. And then uh, hopefully we'll have some announcements about next season here coming pretty soon. How about you, Tara? Well, you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. My new thing all summer is I'm just going to retweet uh, Magic Johnson's tweets and insert blazer specific uh, content in them because they're so wonderfully generic that really anybody can use them. So that's about all I've got going on this summer <laughs> at TCB Biggs on Twitter. Let's see. Oh, you can also follow Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge. You can follow the Hoops and Talks podcast. We'll have new episodes coming out, if not this week, then uh, back next week at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. And don't forget to uh, go to, what is it called? Apple podcasts or whatever wherever it is you get your podcasts and rate and review and subscribe to the blazers edge podcast it helps other people find us um i think that'll about do it for us on july 14th we are halfway through july dan we are that much closer to the beginning of the regular season it's about that time huh right all right thanks for listening